Welcome to the Phil Nason Show, brought to you by PlayUp Sportsbook. PlayUp welcomes all bettors and offers the best prices on the market. They are also proud to be an official betting partner of the New Jersey Devils. Check them out online or in the App Store and see for yourself why PlayUp is your best bet. You're listening to a pre-recorded edition of the Phil Nason Show. The Phil Nason Show. Download us at your favorite podcast catcher, including iTunes, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, or Google Play, and please leave a review. You can follow Phil on social media at Cash with Flash and like our Facebook show page. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Phil Nason Show. Welcome to the Phil Nason Show. I'm excited to have you here. We'll be here for as long as it takes, and we'll do nothing but tennis today because you asked for it. We are presented by PlayUp Sportsbook. That's PlayUp.com. Head on over, sign up for an account, and find out why PlayUp is always your best bet. And you this week in tennis fans, don't worry. We're going to drop this show in the feed, but... We have listeners here clamoring for some tennis talk, and Craig Doyle's on the line. What's happening, dude? How are you doing, Phil? You've imported me from This Week in Tennis, where we've been on a little bit of a hiatus while you've been sorting things out, taking care of business. But it's, uh, it's good to be here on the Phil Nason Show, bringing you tennis during one of the bigger weeks for tennis on the circuit, particularly where the U.S. is concerned. Oh, of course. The Miami Open is hot and ready to go. If you're an old head like me, this was the Lipton <laughs> long time ago. You know, it's interesting that um, a lady who plays pickleball at the club that I am now currently at, she teaches pickleball, and she played on the Virginia Slims Tour. That's the kind of club we're at. It's fantastic, but... She mentioned the other day Lipton, and I was the only one in the room that understood what she meant. And that was cool. But uh, we got all kinds of things flying off, especially rackets, Craig. People talking about rackets. And we'll get into Ash Barty in a minute. I really don't want to talk about that girl retiring. That disappoints me at every level, and we'll tell you why in a minute. But, Craig, these rackets are flying. People are starting to get, I don't know, maybe a little bit upset. Tennis Twitter's erupting over certain things. You know, a lot of them don't know the difference between the ATP Tour and the ITF. And I thought what we would do today is take a little time to talk about those things on this platform. And I'm glad to have you here. It's not the first time you've been here. It won't be the last. But uh, why do you think it is that these kids are busting rackets? Because rackets have been getting broken for years and years and years and years and years. Before me, even. Before my time, Craig. Um, I think we've we've entered a new era in tennis, um, or it is the dawning of a new era. We, we're certainly at the the end of the the previous era, the Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic dominated era, and the Serena Williams one. Um, all should be labelled in as as part of the the last twenty years worth of tennis. And I think a lot of these kids. Um, they sense opportunity. There's a, that smell of opportunity in the air where they believe that um, tennis is about to enter into a new phase where there's going to be chances to win big tournaments like Indian Wells last week, this tournament this week, and 
you know, going forward, there's going to be grand slams on the table. There's going to be masters. There's a lot of money to be made. The ATP is looking for new stars. The WTA is looking for new stars. I just think there's a lot of frustration with these young players because everybody wants a piece of that pie and there's not going to be a lot to go around. You know, that's a very politically correct answer. I like it. You've been watching Twitter lately. But uh, you know what? I think it's a little deeper issue than that. I think these kids, some of these kids are spoiled. They don't know how to compete. And they don't understand that there are better ways to express your frustration than smashing rackets in front of umpires and linesmen and smashing rackets that ball and ball kids are flying out of the way. I mean, come on, what is that? You know, my coaches always used to say, never let them see you sweat. And I understand about breaking rackets. I'm the last person to talk about that. But at the end of the day, there are ways to do things, and there are obviously ways that you shouldn't. Andy Roddick did a tongue-in-cheek video. I'm sure his wife actually uh, taped it for him. And you know something? It was funny because Andy's been known to throw a racket or two in the direction of people. At the end of the day, you have to be careful how you do these things. Do you remember when Marcos Bagdata smashed every racket in his bag? I think that's one of the most iconic um, racket smash moments in tennis history. I mean, like there's been quite a few, but that one was a a proper meltdown. I, I think he probably went through like four or five rackets um just destroying his equipment that was a a real iconic moment in the history of racket smashes in tennis i think oh that was awesome but you know how he did it he sat in front of himself he sat in a chair smashed one that didn't get it out so he smashed them all while he was sitting in the chair in front of himself putting hardly anyone at risk when you start throwing rackets on the ground what do you think it's going to happen i mean these surfaces they're not the same as they used to be. That's not cement. You know, a lot of these things are rubber-based. And those rackets bounce. And, of course, they never hit themselves with the rackets because they know what will happen if they bounce it in front of themselves. So instead, they turn around and give it a throw. And everybody has to get out of their way. Was well, that um, not Mikhail Usney that used to do that? He used to hit himself in the head with the racket. Yeah, that was him, and then Tursenko used to do it too, remember? He used to bounce oh, it yeah, off, yeah, yeah. off those curly locks of his. And, and, you know, stuff like that. Eli Nastasi used to smash himself with it. Uh, I don't remember John McEnroe breaking too many rackets. I know Borg never did. And, and more to the point, I don't remember Pete Sampras breaking that many. Um, maybe Agassi broke more than him. I never saw Michael Chang do it. I don't remember Jim Courier doing much of that. And then as we move forward into this era, we know that Rafa Nadal has never done it. At least no one's ever seen him do it, and I don't. I happen to believe that. Um, Roger Federer used to be a notorious racket breaker, if you remember. Uh, Novak Djokovic, he likes to smash them. He also likes to fling balls at lines people. I mean, but... This stuff is starting to get out of hand. When when the ball kids are jumping out of the way to avoid being smacked or cut by a shard from these rackets, that has to stop. And the only way you're going to stop it, Craig, is not the fines. You know, these guys like to talk about how they need more money and more money and more money. But the reality is, is they make more money in this era than ever before. 
Why does a Jensen Brooksby deserve more than a million dollars? He hasn't won a Grand Slam. And and more to the point, these $1,000 fines or whatever they are, aren't don't matter. I mean, they really don't matter. When you can get $120,000 for losing a first-round match, what's 1000 bucks? It's nothing. The only way you fix that, you, first of all, you started out in the grassroots, the juniors. If a kid throws a racket on me, game over. I don't want anything to do with them. And if they ever hit me with one, that might not end up well, turn out well. But uh, the only way you can really stop it is the racket sponsors themselves. All they have to do is make an example out of one of these players and drop them. And once that happens, and these guys start having to pay for their own, and they have to wait in line like the rest of us to get rackets, they're not going to like it. And I think that's the only way to stop it. But you know that's not going to happen. Yeah, because, I know. You know I've, I, I've photographed a lot of junior events over here, and you, you know that. And one of the things that I've pointed out is you see it at the junior events as well. There's kids as young as 10, 12, 14 years old throwing rackets, breaking rackets, because they're all on racket deals with these companies as well. I and know, and right? the reason they're on these deals is because the companies have got to get in early to tie these kids down because if one of them makes it, that's a cash for the company. You know, they put their face on the marketing campaign. That's how they sell sticks at $250, $400, whatever it is, um, a racket. you got to get these kids tied down early so the kids become even more spoiled because racket costs, well, they ain't paying for a racket. They're, they're getting a set number of rackets a year from their sponsors. So it's something that they can throw that, that doesn't hurt them in the pocket. Well, and that's the whole point. They need to jam one of these guys and teach them a lesson. You throw your rackets, and I'm not sending you anymore. It's not the racket's fault, but that's how it looks. It's a bad marketing thing, really. You would think that they wouldn't like to see that. I remember when Merritt Safin signed his deal, I believe it was with Head, and he said, you know what, they already know I break rackets. They don't seem to care. And you're probably right. And again, those $400 rackets you're buying aren't the same ones that the pros you see play are playing with. Those The ones that the pros are playing with have been doctored and tailored and, and suited specifically for them by a third-party source. If you need one of those types of people in your life, hit me up and I will point you in the right direction. But something's got to change. You know, I don't think these Suedo journalists are going to help because, you know, they're just idiots. They don't know anything about tennis. We talk about that all the time. It's not a personal thing, but this is a sports betting show. And you can't trust anything most of these tennis journalists say. And at the end of the day, they don't help. They're they're less than helpful with their opinions. They don't really know the sport. It's obvious that they don't know the sport when they talk about suspensions of during ITF events for ATP Tour events. There's a big difference. We're going to teach you those differences, Ben Rothenberg, because, you know, I know you don't know much about tennis. You do know how to throw rocks, though. So what we're going to do is teach you how to throw them softer, maybe with some knowledge behind them instead of making you look like an idiot. But this racket stuff has got to stop. I don't. I guess, you know, you, you just take away their sponsorships when they're kids. Or you limit those sponsorships, and you base them on, you know, not only rankings or what you think you're going to get out of them in the future, but the type of kid that they are. You know, you see them all the time at tournaments. I've seen them too. Spoiled, petulant little kids 
who think that they're better than they are because Head sent them three rackets for the year. You know, it, it doesn't make sense to me. It never will. It never did. You know, I busted rackets in my time, believe it or not. But at the end of the day, I, I regret that. So it is what it is. But, you know, maybe bigger fines, Craig. I don't know. But the difference... I, I think the other way around it is not just a fine, but... You know, if you throw your racket and it gets you DQ'd from the event, then you don't play in the next um, event of that level or higher. So you throw your racket at a Masters, you ain't playing in the next Grand Slam. Oh, there you, you go. Know. That would stop I, it, I, too. I, yeah, I mean, because that's your big cash, right? That's where we're talking about $120,000 just for losing in the first round. Well, what about you throw your racket? They say, oh, well, you ain't coming to the, the, grand, the next Grand Slam. You know, we, we're, we're going to admit you from that one. So if you throw your racket in Miami this week, you're not coming either to the next Masters, which I think is like Madrid or Rome or, or Monte Carlo for the men, actually. I think it's Monte Carlo. Um, but yeah, yeah but it's Monte you. Carlo for the men. You just don't have an entry to that. It, it gets rejected. And if you, you do it again, then at the next Grand Slam, you don't get your $120,000. You, know, you don't get your chance to get 2,000 ranking points if you win it. We're just going to knock you out of that tournament. You come back to the one after that. I think that would uh, significantly improve the behavior on the court more so than um, a $10,000 fine or half your prize money. Or Because these kids don't care about that. The, the prize money is high enough that it, it doesn't make a difference. But uh, if you omit them from major events, that'll start making a difference to, you know, it's certainly make a difference to the top 30 or 40 players. And it'll make a huge difference to those outside of that when they, they start losing significant finance. Now, how do you fix it in the juniors, though? Because a lot of times there aren't any uh, lines people or chair umpires, only at the highest level. So how do you stop uh, little Johnny from throwing a racket in, during a tournament, a USDA Level 6 tournament, for example? How do, how do you prevent that? How do you, how do you nip it in the bud there? It's difficult there because... It's juniors, right? There's so right. many tournaments that they can go away and play in, and there's so many pathways they can get back into the game. But it's, again, like in that case, I think if someone's caught throwing um, a racket in that case, I think it should go straight back to the sponsor, and the sponsor should be instructed to drop them. Because I think at that level, unless there's a kid who is standout head and shoulders above everyone else, and you know at, you know, 13 years old that this kid is going to be the next big, big thing then these racket sponsors they, they sponsor a lot of players around the world they shouldn't have too much of an issue dropping some kid because he's thrown a racket so i think and, and it's not just a racket sponsor as well you should take all the sponsors off them take away the footwear sponsors take away the kit sponsors a lot of these kids are heavily reliant on the sponsorship coming in because they can't afford to play the game Without it, I, I know from speaking to a lot of parents that the kids, when they're playing, the parents are desperate for them to get sponsors because it costs so much to, to have multiple pairs of tennis shoes, multiple rackets, to have all of the clothing to go to tournaments for a week, and any sort of supplements or, or sports drinks or whatever else that they, they're using on a regular basis. They, they need this money to offset the costs of lessons and facility hires and, and various other things. So hit them, the juniors in the pocket, remove the sponsorships. I, and I'm pretty confident from my experience of 
what I've seen in the UK, that it would be really damaging to a lot of kids' hopes of ever making it if they don't have their sponsors. Um, I know parents who have said that their kids are going to have to drop out if they can't attract um, a racket sponsor or a ball sponsor or someone to offset some of the costs. So I, I think, like, apart from the, the really rich kids whose parents obviously can finance it, there's a real incentive for kids to have their sponsors and to keep them just to stay on the tour. You don't have that, you're, you're not going to be able to play junior level, and, and that avenue for your life disappears. You better go find something else to do, because if you can't finance it, you can't play. Well, that's just it. You know, most countries now, most racket companies anyway, outside of the United States, I'm new, I'm returning to the United States. I was just at a level six tournament. We didn't see any racket smashing, so that was good. I don't think any of those kids were sponsored by anybody either. But uh, I would think that um, very few are getting racket deals now, to be honest. You know, they used to even give club pros racket deals, but now they're kind of curtailing those activities. You're limited basically to the top 10 in a large country, I think, like the United States per age group. You have to be in the top 10 in, in the country to get stuff, or maybe it's top five in the region. I have to look into that, actually. But at the end of the day, I think you're right. Bang them kids early, teach them a lesson early, and maybe, just maybe, you'll stop it. But I got news for you. If I would have thrown my racket when my grandfather was paying for him, I wouldn't have probably had an arm left to throw. Because back when I was playing, those woody rackets were expensive when I was in juniors. But anyway, we have the difference between the ATP and the ITF and the WTA. Because people were clamoring for, again, the conduct of some at the Australian Open. They should be suspended for the eight by, on the ATP tour. And that's just not the case because they're two separate intent- entities. And the bottom line is they have different rules and different ways of punishing players am i wrong no i mean you're it it would be like um any other place in the world if you get you know told that you can't shop at a particular store that doesn't mean that you can not shop at at a rival store or or anywhere else you know it's just like anything else in the world if one entity doesn't mean you get banned from the other I think people have got to understand that the Grand Slams and the the Davis Fed Cup, etc., exist within the ITF's jurisdiction. Um, pretty much most of the other events either exist within the ATP Tour or the WTA Tour. So there's different rule sets from different government bodies, and one doesn't always carry over to the other. The only thing that really carries over between them is the... Uh, Ranking points earned at the ITF events are consistently used by the ATP and WTA tours. The actual rule sets, etc., are very much independent. Very much independent. So if I fling a ball at a lines person during an ITF event, you know, the ITF deals with me. Um, junior tennis, the higher levels, ITF, it's not ATP and WTA. Challengers and futures mostly are ruled by the ITF and not the ATP and WTA. So you have to learn the differences before you spout off about suspensions and fines. And why is it that Zverev can bust rackets in Acapulco and not get suspended for, let's say, the French Open? Or let's say Novak Djokovic flinging a ball and hitting a linesman in the throat and saying he didn't mean it. (laughs) Okay, you're probably right. You're not that good then, right? Okay. 
Well, anyways, if he gets burned there, he could still probably, even if they say, just hypothetical, if they told him he had to miss one Grand Slam, that doesn't mean he would have to miss, say, Indian Wells and Miami, if you will. Or if he did it at the French Open, he could still play Queens Club, but not the Wimbledon tournament. So you see, just like COVID and their restrictions and mandates and uh, whatever, the ITF, WTA, and ATP are all separate entities. Y'all need to stop confusing everyone with that. Learn the difference. Learn the different rules, the different fines, the different punishment systems before you start spouting off because (laughs) for those who know, you just look foolish. And I got to tell you, Craig, it hit me like a ton of bricks because, you know, even though we never talk about Ashley Barty on this show because she can't, you can't bet her matches because she's an overwhelming favorite most of the time. I'm disappointed to see that young lady leave the WTA tour. I'm disappointed. I, I wanted to see that girl dominate like no other, and maybe she could have. I wanted to see her take a run at Serena Williams is 23, maybe even break Margaret Court. Wouldn't it be fitting to break that record as an Australian? But it's not going to happen. And uh, what did you think about it? Um, I wasn't all that surprised. I think we had a brief conversation about it, and I thought that she's a star, but she's not the star that the WTA is looking for. Right. Um for whatever reasons, like a lot of people are saying you don't, she doesn't need a reason to retire, but I think looking at it, she's won three grand slams. She's done a great deal in such a short time. She has recently just gotten married. So she probably at some point in the near future wants to start a family or, or whatever. I don't know. I don't know her personally. Um, she's also been involved in professional women's cricket. So she's got options there that she might want to explore. She did say she wants to explore her options, but I think one of the the things that would bother me if I was Ashley Barty is that I'm the number one player in the world, but I'm not really being pushed as a household name by the WTA, and I would feel that that's probably because of the way that I look. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard pill to swallow, right? And it's, right. it's a hard thing to come out and say in this day and age. Uh, I'm not making any accusations, but when you look at the sponsors that Naomi Osaka has, someone who's won three, four Grand Slams herself, she's making mega millions per year on sponsors, including fashion labels, um, luxury car brands, cosmetic brands, a variety of other different high-end electronic sponsors, etc., and then you look at Emma Raducanu, who's won one Grand Slam, probably won less than 10 matches at the pro level at the minute. Um, since the, since her US Open win. Um, and she's got pretty much a, a, a diet version of what Osaka's got. She's got cosmetic labels, fashion labels, um, high-end sports car manufacturers, watch sponsors and then you look at Barty and like most of her sponsors are either Australian based apart from maybe Jaguar cars. She doesn't really have the fashion labels and the, the cosmetic sponsors, you know, for the makeup and the, the lipstick brands and whatever they've not bought into her despite the fact that she's been head and shoulders, the best player for a significant amount of time on the tour. 
And I, I think like in terms of earning potential, it's a massive downer to get to the top of the game and, and not be the top earner in the sport and not really be able to change that. So I th- if I was her, I would feel, I wouldn't say demoralized by it. You know, she's made a lot of money out of tennis, but she's done what she wants to do in terms of achieving what she can playing the sport. She doesn't seem like she's committed to wanting to win multiple Wimbledons or multiple Australian Opens. Um, she's shown that she can reach the top, and I think that she, because she's played cricket, she probably wants to prove a point and go back there and try and dominate that sport as well. Could happen. You know, Pete Sampras used to get ticked off that he was winning majors and beating Andre Agassi, and Andre was getting all the endorsements. You know, Madison Avenue likes what they like, and it doesn't necessarily jive with talent. Um, not to say Andre wasn't talented. A guy won eight majors. But it was interesting that it coincided with the big announcement that Emma Raducanu had just signed a mega deal with a car dealer. And, you know, I, we talk about this a lot. And in terms of sports betting, there are players that you can't touch. Ash Barty you can't touch because she was so good. And she was such an overwhelming favorite. Unless you had something that you knew inside, it was real tough to bet against her. But like girls like Emma Raducanu, you can bet against her every time. Well, actually, you don't bet her matches because you don't know what's going to show. And when you see someone who left eight, you know, Ash Barty was gone for eight months last year consecutive away from her house because of the COVID restrictions in Australia. Maybe that had something to do with it. She went out a winner, though. And to me, she's going to go down as one of the greatest women players of all time. I don't put Naomi Osaka at that level. Well, we're going to talk about her in a minute. She has a match today, in fact. But uh, I don't hold Emirata Kanu at that level. I mean, Anna Ivanovich, if you remember, she uh, took a lot of flack for her seemingly disinterest in tennis in terms of spend a lot of time doing fashion shoots. But she was she at least could go two, three rounds. You know, uh, girls like Emma Raducanu can barely get out of the blocks. You know, and she's making all this money because of one event, a three-week period in her life when she couldn't miss. She's now set for life, and so is her family, and so are her generational wealth she got. Ash Barty had to do it on the court winning. And maybe that has something to do with it. Either way, though, Craig, I'm disappointed that she's gone. She was something dependable. You know, she was someone who didn't make excuses. You know, she didn't come out there at age 24, talk like a 12-year-old, and blame everybody but herself. You know what I mean? She took her hits like a champion, and she took her victories like a champion. See, she's like a female Rafael Nadal to me. And it's going to be very sad without her there. The tennis, the WTA, I know that they're disappointed that she's not on the court, but I I don't blame her. If that's why she left, because she didn't get the extra dollars, that's just too bad. You know, why can't we take these young ladies at face value and stop looking at their looks You know, I know coaches in Europe, for example, who won't even touch a girl who isn't cute because how are you going to make any money off that? 
And I'm like, wow. You know, so I don't know. All I know is I'm disappointed, Craig. Because that girl was money, man. Yeah, but you you know as well, though, that th- these coaches aren't touching those girls because they they see the money, right? They see the Sharapova, they see the Ivanovic, the um, Wozniaki, and, and they see what comes off. In fact, let's let's go to my – shall we give my favorite one out? Eugenie oh. Bouchard. Oh, yeah. You know, she trains at my club sometimes. Yeah, well, you know, m- maybe you can uh, revive her tennis career because now <laughs> that's um, – I don't think you could get that failing. You, you, you couldn't know, call an ambulance to do that. But, you know, she's got all the, the magazines and she had all the, the the photo shoots and whatever, but you actually do get to a point that if you do fall out of the – the top 50, the top 100, that you become insignificant again um, very, very quickly. But because you get so much money for that short period of time while you are the glamour girl of tennis, um, it doesn't tend to matter too much, unfortunately. And that could easily be what we're, we're seeing here is that uh, Barty's bust her backside to get to where she is. But... Um, Unfortunately, the, the prize money is insignificant in comparison to what comes in when you get the endorsements. And you just need to ask Naomi Osaka. I mean, I think she made about $200 million or something the other year. Right. Just in, in you know, her face being associated with all of these brands and cosmetic sponsors, fashion labels, Japanese um, promotions. You know, she, she's a megastar over there. Um, and she, she, you know, winning a Grand Slam gets her what, maybe two million dollars, something like that. You get ten times that just by being associated with the right people, the right label, um, the right advertisers and sponsors. So I, I could understand if you you work really hard, it it could be a bit of pill to swallow if if you're not bringing in the. Uh, the big money like everybody else is who isn't having to work anywhere near as hard at the sport of tennis. I know it's unfortunate. It's too bad. Thanks for the memories, Ash. We had a great time watching you again. We never talked about, we didn't talk about you much here because well, <laughs> we could never bet on you, but we never bet against you. I don't think I ever did. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Now, Catherine Whitaker, when we talk about journalists who know nothing about tennis, Catherine Whitaker's name <laughs> pops up first. Um, yeah, you're giggling because you know what's coming next. Well, you know, I'm, I'm about to add to it because Kathleen Whitaker was one of the first people to block me on Twitter because she didn't like my opinion of her opinions on tennis. Well, she has none. Her her opinions are based on whatever, uh, however hot the blow dryer was that day in the studio, in the makeup room, because she knows nothing about tennis. She's a moron, and she knows nothing about the history of tennis. What she is is a girl that, uh, you know what, I, I can honestly say if you're going to look for the pretty girl to sit in the presenter's chair, you know what? You could do better. But at the end of the day, it's like this. She's clamoring. She wants to see women playing best of five sets in the WTA 1000s, the 500s, and, and of course, the ITFs. Now, I pointed out to her that this has already been tried and failed. You know, you've got Emma Raducanu who can't get through two sets without being gassed, and you want to see them play five sets? First of all, five sets is grueling, Katie. And I know you've never played. You've never, well, you might have picked up a racket or two, you know, maybe outside the club one night, you know, to demonstrate how smart you are. But at the end of the day, 
These ladies don't need to play best of five sets, do they, Craig? They don't. Um, Who wants to watch that? It's it's you want to watch high quality tennis, and if people are getting to the end of the best of three sets and the, the levels dropping, then do you really want to see more and more players going to best of five? where the level in the fourth and fifth set drops significantly. No, you don't. And this isn't too dissimilar an argument as to why she blocked me on tennis uh, on Twitter in the first place. Um, she basically was arguing that she wants to see more women's matches on the center courts at Wimbledon um, in the early days. And I, I kind of pointed out to her that at the time, the WTA didn't have a significant number of household name stars the ATP had Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, and Murray all playing in the event. All marquee names, all put bums on seats. You're, a lot of these tickets on the center court, you're paying four figures or more to get them um, for a day of play to see a superstar of tennis. To put on two best of three sets women's matches with you know Serena Williams being the only real significant name on the card at that time, would have been, if I had gotten a ticket to center court, I would have been disappointed. I, I really would have been disappointed, especially knowing that the day later you were going to see Federer and Nadal playing on the center court. If, if you had come in and you had only seen Djokovic and Murray was on one of the other courts, you'd be asking for your money back. Of course and, you would. You know, she's just gone the next step with that argument now, saying that women should play best of five. Do you think that's an attractive proposition to the customer buying a ticket is to see more longer matches where the quality is going to drop? Because I don't see that as being something that brings people in to watch matches. And if you look at Indian Wells last week as an example, a lot of these early matches, and this is best of three sets, a lot of these early matches, there's barely anyone in the stadium. You, if they zoom out and they show the, the the larger stadiums, they're not half full. They're not even a quarter full. There's a group of people down the front and a scattering of fans sitting elsewhere. People are not buying in at the high price that they're being asked to pay to watch best of three. Would they want to sit and watch best of five at the same price? Hell I'm no. not so sure. I'm not doing that at all. You know, the problem with dear Katie is that she knows nothing about tennis. She doesn't think before she speaks. But then again, she has no basis to uh, speak about the sport other than the fact that someone employs her because they think her her face is going to attract viewers. I think they could do better. In fact, here's I, I have a solution for a lot of this. You know what we should do? We should take girls like Eugenie Bouchard, who does know tennis. She's been doing it her entire life, and put her in the presenter's chair she's more attractive if that's what you're looking for. Of course, so is a door. But uh, at the end of the day, she does know about tennis. She knows that women can't play best of five because it's not wor- it's it's hard. That's grueling. You know, Katie sits in an air-conditioned studio. and She's not playing out there in the elements. You know, so what are you going to do? So you take a girl like Eugenie Bouchard and you put her there. Um, you know who was great for Tennis Channel is Taylor Townsend. She was great. I loved listening to her. I, I I actually unmuted my TV to listen to her talk. Um, Emma Raducanu because she she's going to crash and burn very soon, and the sponsors are going to want to see all the money that they've spent. 
her wearing things and, and wearing their clothes and talking about uh, cars and such. So these kind of girls, when they flame out because they spend more time on a, on the red carpet than they do on a practice court, and don't please stop telling me that this girl, Emma Raducanu, practices six hours a day. You need to stop all that. I coach a kid who hasn't played for eight months, and he got a blister the other day because I worked him trying to get him back in shape, right? And his hands are calloused already. That girl... That girl hasn't picked up, she hasn't spent more than an hour and a half on a tennis court other than the night she loses. Um, but the end of the day is that's what they should do with these ladies. Instead of putting these clowns in these situations and instead of putting boneheads like Ben Rothenberg in there to write, some of these tennis players are awfully good writers, you know. Some of these tennis players are very artistic and can express themselves far better and have a basis for their opinion. But back to the best of five. These girls are complaining that they're having a hard time getting through three sets. Can you imagine watching a, set, a, a tennis match go 6-4-0-6-1-6-6-4-1-6? Who's going to want to watch that? That's what we're already watching now with WTA events in best of three. You know, I'm thinking that maybe that's even too much. I think what they should do is play best of three, but the third set be a 10-point tiebreaker. That would be fun because it's hard to watch some of these matches. But that's an idiot idea based on some silliness. And if you're paying attention to these kind of reporters, you need to stop. That's why you're losing your bets because they know nothing about tennis. They know zero. They have zero inside information because nobody's going to tell them anything. No tennis player in their right mind is going to tell them anything that they can't already Google. So you all need to stop all that. Forget that. As a guy who spent 38 years on a tennis court making a living on a court, I'm going to say the ladies would be against that. Don't you, Craig? They're already complaining that the tour is too long. Now you want them to play best of five? <laughs> no, I agree. I actually oh. think... You've, you've probably got a, a good point, and I think the WTA should consider bringing some of these matches down. Not Maybe not at the, the higher tournaments, but some of the smaller events. Let's make it two sets and a 10-point a tiebreak. And I think the ATP should do exactly the same thing. So this is not a sexist thing. No, I agree. Kath, Catherine Whitaker loves to use that against you. I when know. you say that the women shouldn't do something, it's you're sexist. You get blocked. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, that's the easy way out these days is, is, you know, you pick something that you know that there's a crowd of people standing with their pitchfork in one hand and a lit torch in the other ready to, you know, chase away all these sexist men or, or whatever. You know, easy thing to say. But um, let's look at it from the business perspective. ATP WTA events, maybe at the 500 level for the ATP. I don't see why they should go uh, and play, or, or maybe you know, let's say the 250s, because there's a lot of those events. Why not just play two sets and then play a tiebreaker? It'll be an exciting way to finish a lot of these matches off. We'll not have to watch grueling third sets um, where people are struggling for fitness anyway because they've just played the last three, four weeks in a row, like Alexander Zverev does when the money's right. <laughs> it, it'll 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 save some of these guys and girls energy for the slams we'll enjoy 
it. You know, we'll enjoy these third set tie breaks. It, it, it would be a, a, a lot better than just extending matches out to three hours when you can have it done in, in two. Um, you know, you get two hour long sets. We finish it off with a 10 point tie break. We move on. I think it makes a lot more sense than trying to add more sets. Um, it'll be a lot more entertaining for the customer. You buy a ticket, you get to see four matches on the short court in a day. At some of these smaller events, you're going to see these matches moving along quicker. You're not going to be deciding that at the end of set two, you want to take a bathroom break uh, or, or go to the concession stand or, or whatever. You sit there, you'll engage, you'll watch the tiebreaker to see who wins the match. It's only going to last another 10 minutes or so, not not another 45 minutes uh, hitting the ball back and forward um, before we have a tiebreak anyway. We just get to the point and, and move on. I, I think it's a good idea. I think it's the way forward for tennis, and I think it would probably help the branding of some of these smaller events to do that. Not to mention the time they spend on the court because that's a big complaint, and a lot of it is justified. It's an 11-month season. You want to shorten the season, that's not going to fly with the sponsors, but shorten the matches. You know, let them play like that. They'll do it. I guarantee you the guys would do it. And I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm more than sure the women would. And it, that third set would be amazing. You know what you could basically do? You could actually just have exhibitions and play it like an exhibition. The guys or girls sit in the locker room before everything starts, flip a coin to see who wins the first set, let the other guy win the second set, and then they just play for real in the third tie, set tiebreaker. I mean, it'd be a lot more fun than watching them lose love six. <laughs> I mean... Come on, really? No, nah, I'm only being tongue-in-cheek, but the end of the day is they need to do something. And if it were up to people who know tennis, I would say eliminate that third set for the ladies and let them play a tiebreaker. Now, for the Grand Slams, I think they should play three sets. I think there's a different sense of urgency there because there's more points available, more money available, more opportunities to meet with sponsors and to gain sponsorship more chance for worldwide exposure, which makes their sponsors happy, which makes these young people more money because they're invited to play in exhibitions. But a lot of these events, in the morning hours, you don't see a soul in the place. There's a lot of empty seats disguised as fans. And I think that we need to fix some things. you know. But they didn't come here to listen to us prattle on for, the la for an hour about all these issues. They came here for the picks, Craig. Let's start with the men. Roberto Bautista Agut takes on Jensen Brooksby at 11 a.m. Agut is a plus 131 dog. Brooksby is a minus 133 favorite. The total is 22 games. We're on a little bit of a roll. I say I'm going to roll with this one going the over 22 games, Craig. I like it. That's a smart play. Um, I'm not entirely sure who's going to win this one, actually. Um, Agut's not had the best season thus far. It's an event in the U.S., so you tend to look at Brooksby as more favorable here than you do anywhere else. That's a good play. I think it's going to be competitive. I think it's going to be very competitive. Now, the next one we have is Daniel Medvedev versus Pedro Martinez. And as you can imagine, Medvedev is an overwhelming favorite. Martinez is a big dog. The total, though, is interesting at 18 and a half games, both sides of the coin. Do you just leave this one be? 
Yeah, I mean... Could go the over were... because I think Pedro Martinez is a little better than maybe the odds makers think. I wouldn't go with the spread at five and a half games, but... I just don't like this. I don't like... He's not world number one at the minute. Djokovic is back in the world number one, but yes, Medvedev's is. the best player in the tournament by far. Um, you know, I, I just don't like touching players. The, the top players like that, it, it's very difficult to touch them because you're never going to get given the price that's skewed. Even on the over there, it's not a great price for this. It's too easy for him to come out and either have a bad day or decide that he wants to play a little bit more tennis and not win a... A set, you know, he maybe loses the first set on the tiebreak or something. I just shy away from when when it's Medvedev or when it's um, Nadal or Djokovic. It's it's really difficult for me to play any of these guys at the minute. So I probably not touch this one. But if people are desperate, then the over is not the worst play. No, I think because if it, if it goes, let's say if it goes six four six three, you just won. That's two breaks. You know, so what? Depending on who serves, of course, who first starts serving, of course. Yeah, let's play the over. It's, it's minus one hundred six on the juice. It's less than anything else. It's the best thing you can get. This next match is kind of interesting, though. Yoshioda Yoshihito Nishioka is taking on Lloyd Harris. Now, Nishioka is the plus one fifty five dog. Harris is a minus one seventy two favorite. The total is twenty-two and a half for the over. That's the best price you're going to get. And under twenty-two games is the best price you're going to get for that. So at plus one hundred two. So what do you think you do with this one? Because Nishioka has played pretty well. Lloyd Harris has had some interesting results the last few weeks. Maybe not very consistent. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I. Harris used to be a guy we played quite often, actually. Yeah, um, we never played him like this as a favorite, like this. No, he was never the favorite, which is what we talk about a lot on This Week in Tennis, is knowing when to drop particular players from your regular selections because they, the sports book's starting to catch up with you. So I think that's where we are with Harris. I don't think we play him. I think if we're going to play anyone, we play Nishioka, or we look for something else in there that gives us a bit more value. Twenty-two and a half games, the total. I this could go. This could be a quickie. From what I've been told, the courts are playing kind of quick, so that would benefit Harris in his serve, and the big forehand. Uh, Nishioka is a grinder. It could go three sets. I, I don't, you know, but you could look at the spread. It's at two and a half games either way. Both are minus, under minus one ten. You're still paying a little bit of juice on this one. I don't even want to touch this one. It's another one that's not a lot of value in it, is there? Um, no. You know, anyone who's who's really wild and wants to go for it, go for Nishioka to take him out. But um, if the courts are playing as quick as we think they are, it's, it's going to favor what Harris does really well. Um, and that's, that, that's not great for a guy who's going to be running back and forth in the heat. No, it sure isn't. Now, we, this one you could probably play. Hubert Herkax against Aslan Karatsev. Karatsev is a plus 213 dog. Herkax is a minus 245 favorite. The total is 22.5 games in most places. Some places you can get it for under 22. I think 22 is a good number. This could go three sets. 
but it's at 12:15 p.m. It's going to be kind of warm out there. These guys aren't necessarily known as hardcore players per se. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I've cooled on Hurkacz a little bit. Ever since he got that run that took him to the top 10, he's not been the... I, I don't know whether he's just lost a little bit of the uh, the drive that he had previously, but I, I've certainly um, cooled my interest in him a little bit. I'd probably play the over here. Yeah, this will go three sets, and that's at plus money right there. So that's even money, actually. So that's not a bad one. So now we've got... Four more men's matches. We got Marin Silic against Carlos Alcaraz Garfia. And I'm going to tell you what. This kid, Alcaraz, is a big favorite here. Silic has a big serve. This is a good chance for Silic to pick up some money. Alcaraz has been pretty hot until he ran into a red-hot Rafael Nadal in that third set. But he broke Rafa. I mean, when I say broke, he like broke his rib. That's how he had to play to beat him. I don't think Silich is going to let that go that far, if you will. I got to leave this one alone. Unless you want to play the under 21 and a half games. We're looking, really, if Silich has his way, and even if he loses, you're looking at, what, a tiebreaker in 7-5, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Silich is one of those players who's blessed with a big enough serve that he can be a danger to anyone. Even at this stage of his career, I mean, his best days are long gone. But he's still hanging in there at the top end of the rankings. He's not someone who's slipped so far down the rankings that you would just not bet on him. Um, yeah, I think um, I, I, I would be cheeky. I would actually try the under and see if this Carlos Alcaraz is as red hot as we think he is. Um, we, we're certainly we're not going to have to get a lot of bets on this guy. Because the sports books onto him, they, they know that this guy is going to be big. But here, I think I'll give the under a go. It's a it's a big time risky play, but I I think you know Silich, he's he's played a lot of tennis. Does this really matter to him how how he does here? Carlos Alcaraz is on the way up. You know this is a guy who wants to cement his place in the top ten before we get to clay court season. He's going to be hot stuff on the clay. I'm pretty sure of that. I think this is going to be a big tournament for Alcaraz in Miami. I think the uh, Hispanic population down there is really going to take to this guy. He's oh, going to yeah. be a big star. They're going to love him. Oh, and yeah. I, I think he's, I think he's going to come out and try and smoke Chilich here to lay down a statement that you know he's coming. He's going to be the next big thing. So I'm going to gamble and I'm going to play the under. I like Alcaraz. I like that play too. I I don't think Silic is going to want to be out there facing that stuff. He won't understand most of it, but that's okay too. Um, yeah, I think the under is your play here because Alcaraz can't smoke him. Now here's one. This one could be real interesting, and probably we'll leave it alone. It's Miramir Miramir Kekmanovic. He's taking on Sebi Korda. Korda's an underdog here, a slight one though, at plus one ten, so it's it's a little better than even money. Kekmanovic is a minus one twenty two favorite. The total is twenty two and a half games. Um, you know what? I, I I love to play this dog here with Korda. He's going to have the fans on his side, but I think this goes three sets because Sevi just doesn't blast people, and Kekmanovic is pretty tough. I think. The over is your play at minus 101, near even money. 
Do you risk it? And do you play the over and quarter? You know what? You could because I think quarter is going to win this one. It, it's you know what? You'll break even if you if you get the over and you and quarter somehow finds a way to lose this match. I don't think quarter loses though. You want to do them both? I think we could. I think we could. I I think like you're. It's foolish not to play the dog while it's there, especially a slight dog like this. This is a coin flip, and I think Corda, and this is home for him. He trains in Florida, so this is home for him. So why not? You know, people are talking about Corda left and right. Let's let's give them what they want. You know, I think Corda takes care of business today. So I'm going to – and look at the spread. It's a game and a half uh, or a game. Some people have a game at, at minus 109, so you're still paying a tiny bit of juice. You know what, Joe? I, let's do it both. Let's pull it. Let's pull the trigger. Let's say quarter wins in three sets and we clean up. Okay, sounds good. Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz. T- Tommy Paul is a plus 133 dog. Fritz is a minus 150 favorite. The totals are like this. The under is 23 in a lot of places. And the over is 22 and a half games. Fritz has been playing out of his mind. But Tommy Paul has also played very, very well. Which way do we go with this, or do we just leave this be? I think you got to leave this one because I think Fritz has been immense on this little swing in on the U.S. hard courts. Um, I, it would be crazy to go against him now. I think he's going to have another good week this week, and then we'll not hear of him again for about six months until he, we, we get back to the U.S. Right. Because um, he's not going to do much on those clay courts, I don't think. I, I'd be really surprised if he did. That's not disrespectful to him. That's just how, you know, how his game is. But um, I, I think we, we leave this one. Um, it, there's not enough here to, to play Fritz, I don't think. Well, I'm pretty sure he's going to win. I, I agree with you. Now we have one more match. We've got Sisipas and Demonauer playing. And I'm leaving that one alone. I, I don't trust the Sisipas elbow. I can't trust Demon Hour at all. What about you? You want to touch this one? Um, I mean, if I was playing it, I'd have to play something on Sipsipas, but I'm not inclined to play it because I'm not. You're not going to get the price there that makes me want to play it. No, I think the price is kind of awful. Uh, minus two fifty-two, plus two nineteen for Demon Hour. I just don't think it's worth it. Um, I I, I think I agree with you. I think Sipsipas should win this match. But I don't want to touch that. That's just throwing money away when you don't really need to. We still have several options. And now as we shoot on over to the ladies' side of things, and and this is an interesting thing, because the ladies of the WTA are unlike no other. And we have Anz Jabour taking on Danielle Collins. Collins was the finalist over at uh, the Australian Open. Then she got hurt. She's taking on Jabour. This could be a real good, good match for, and the total is pretty interesting at 21 games. The under is 21 and a half. You're looking at a toss-up with the line. Jabour is the underdog here. Slight one at plus 107. Danielle Collins is a minus 121 favorite. Do you take the home juice or do you play the over? Um, I'm playing Jabur. 
I think she's fantastic. I honestly do. Uh, I know Danielle Collins is, uh, you know, she's been hurt and she's just coming back. But this Shabur is so consistent. Um, she's she's just hovers in or around that top ten. Um, what a player! I, I think she's fantastic. Um, I, I just think she'll have too much for Collins. I, I, I watched her. Um, yeah, was it yesterday or the day before playing against Kaya Kanepi? Three in love, smoked her, not even close. Um, just fantastic. So I'm going to play Jabur. And there you go. Now um, we're going to pass over the Daria Sevilla match. That's just dumb numbers you can't touch. Naomi Osaka is an overwhelming favorite taking on Allison Risk. Um, she's a five game. The spread is minus five for Osaka, plus four and a half for Ali Risk, and the total is 20 and a half. I, I can't go against the hometown girl that's home from here, Allie Risk. Uh, I don't trust Osaka as far as I can throw her. And minus five games is too much. I don't think she's going to beat Allie Risk by more than five games. And I just leave this one alone. I can't touch it. Osaka's another match I just don't want to touch. You're never going to get a price on Osaka to be able to play her anyway, so it's it's pointless. Yeah, let's go to the next one. Now, this one could get interesting. We could probably make a play here. It's hard for the WTA these days. Belinda Bencic is taking on Alexandria Sasnovich. Uh, Bencic is a minus 164 favorite. Sasnovich is a plus 150 dog. And it's 21 and a half games. The spread is minus 2.5 for Bencic. So she needs to win this match by more than three games. And Sasnovich has to lose by more than four games in order for her or you to win your bet if you bet against her. I don't want to touch this one either. Hmm, if I was playing, I would probably play against Bencic. Um, I don't know a huge amount about Sasnovich, whether I feel confident on her winning outright. Well, she, you know, she's one of those Belarusian players at the minute as well that you're just not sure where they are mentally, what with other events going on in the world. Um, Bencic, I've not got a read on her. She's always struggled a little bit with injury. Um, she beat Heather Watson in the last round, but that's not really saying much, is it? Um, yeah, there's, there's not a lot here to play. If you, if you want to play, I think you try, try Sasnovich. Um, on the handicap, losing uh, by less than four games, I think is is not the worst play out there. Yeah. I certainly don't. I, I don't fancy her to beat Benchic outright, but I think yeah, it might be close. So maybe that's the one to play. Or the total is twenty one and a half games, so that's uh, that you have to make that one go three sets. I don't know if Benchic wants to do that. Yeah, let's just play the total. We'll play the spread plus three games. That sounds good to us. Now, Iga Svitek, who is the new number one player in the world. Congratulations. First number one from Poland. Gotta love that. She's taking on Coco Goff. This is another one that's these kind of matches to me. are They're dead to me. I don't play Coco Goff matches because, <laughs> well, <laughs> because I just don't want to lose. Um, Svitek is a huge favorite, as you can imagine. Goff is a big underdog. If Goff could beat her three out of ten times, which I don't think she can, I would play the dog here, but I can't. I don't know what Coco Goff is going to show up. 
and she's uh, the spread is plus five games, and, and for Iga Svitek, it's minus five and a half, so she basically has to win a set six love for you to get there or whatever. She has to win by more than six games, so you're, you're going to have to have an overwhelming blowout here. And the total is over the 19 and a half is minus 114. Under 20 is minus 115. What do we do, Craig? Well, have I don't I touch anything? this match. Well, have I won anything playing on golf? Um, you won the booby prize. You know what? They should give sports bettors a, like a participation medal. We should get a little extra juice just for playing her. I think you should get like a bonus free play when you bet on Coco Golf. Yeah, she's not winning this match. Right? No. We're, we're talking silly stuff. Um, no, it's, there's not, again, like there's nothing here at play. People are, are hoping, the sportsbook's hoping that people are going to come in and back golf on this one, but um, that's just free money for them. Sure is. Now, we can't touch the Pagula match because that the numbers are crazy. We've got one more we can do, though, and Veronica Kudermatova is a minus 114 favorite. Petra Kitova is a plus 102 underdog. The spread here is interesting. Plus one and a half games, but the juice is too high. You can't touch it. Plus one game for Petra Kitova, and that's minus 111. I guess you can. The total's interesting. 21 and a half for the over. Under 22 is the under. And you know what? You can't play any of this except for the money line. So you got to figure out who's going to try to win. Because the juice is too much to play it any other way. Kitova is a slight underdog. Do you take a swing for Kitova? Because Kudamatova's played pretty well recently. Yeah, I think you do. I think just let's play the underdog. We've not played a lot of underdogs this week. Um, usually we, we try to play three or four that we, we have a high degree in confidence in. This one feels a bit more like a coin flip to me, but we need an underdog in there, so let's have a go on Kvitova and see where it takes us. And see where it takes us. That's exactly right. Great stuff today, Craig. Where do we find you and see that amazing photography that you do? And sometimes Craig even has an opinion or two there. (laughs) You can find me at at CD Sports Media on Twitter. And I'm sure you could come and listen to us again on This Week in Tennis. Um, we try to get a show out every week or every fortnight, uh, usually by the end of the week. But um, we, we we'll probably be on a little bit of a break for a while before the the tennis lines up in Europe. We'll maybe come back for clay court season and we'll win you some money. And that's what we're going to do. That CD Sports Media. And if you need a photographer in the United Kingdom, Craig's one of the best there is. Hit him up. Get him over there. And let them snap some photos for you. You won't be disappointed, I promise you. And that's going to wrap it up for today's Phil Nason Show. We're going to also put this show on the This Week in Tennis feed for the tennis folks who don't necessarily want to listen to anything but tennis. We want to thank PlayUp Sportsbook for presenting the show. PlayUp.com for all your sports betting needs. Sign up for an account and find out why PlayUp is your best bet. All picks are tracked at betstamp.app. You can follow me I Phil Nation show or follow the This and Week in Tennis team. We both have pages there and we're ready to roll. Until next time, you all take care of yourselves. Be good. And most importantly, ladies and gentlemen, my mother thanks you. My father thanks you. 
My sister thanks you, and I thank you. Thanks for listening to The Phil Nason Show. Download us at your favorite podcast catcher, including iTunes, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. And please leave a review. You can follow Phil on social media at Cash with Flash and like our Facebook show page.